This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Election 2024 is definitely upon us. There's no doubt that we are in the thick of at least the very beginning of what will be a very, very busy and compelling year in national politics, no doubt about it. And we've certainly seen the pattern over the last several months as Donald Trump has decided to not debate any of his Republican opponents and a variety of strategies at play there. In an article in The Hill, Alexander Bolton reports that some Democrats are questioning whether Biden should agree to debate Trump. Alexander Bolton joins us here on Bartholomew Town. Good morning and thanks for the time. Thanks a lot for having me. Your article is filled with several key Democratic leaders, essentially making the argument that should President Biden be on the debate stage with Donald Trump in any way, shape, or form, he would be more vulnerable than if he were not to get on stage with Donald Trump. Explain that reporting a little bit and and some of the voices that, that you spoke with or learned information from. Well, the Democrats I spoke to say that uh, President Biden shouldn't feel like he has to debate Donald Trump. And this is coming um, as Trump, who refused to debate any of his Republican uh, primary opponents, now wants to debate Biden um, as many times as possible. Trump has floated the idea of 10 debates with Biden. He says he's looking forward to it. Clearly, the former president thinks that he would have an advantage on the debate stage over Biden. And uh, Democrats are saying, look, um, you know, it's a tradition and an expectation that the that the party's nominees debate each other. But uh, they're saying in this case, Biden shouldn't feel compelled to do it. And there are a couple of reasons there. Number one, um, and I think the reason that they're most willing to acknowledge is that they view, they view any sort of debate with Trump as giving Trump a platform to essentially uh, you know disseminate what they view as is is hateful and 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 false uh, rhetoric and and in particular the comment the former president made uh, you know recently that the immigrants are poisoning the blood of our country um, you know Democrats are saying Biden shouldn't legitimize that type of rhetoric by standing on stage with uh, you know a guy who is Who's spreading it? And so, the argument is that while it is tradition for the the nominees of the major parties to to, to debate, you know, two or three times before the general election, they're saying in this case it's different. And the differences are, this is the first time ever that the <clears throat> Republican nominee, expecting that Trump wins, and looks like he will win the Republican nomination, <clears throat> is facing. 91 felony criminal counts. Um, he's facing, I think, what, four criminal trials. He has continued to claim that the uh, election was stolen. He has claimed that falsely without substantiation. He uh, he tried to stop the peaceful transfer of power. So, you know, the, the Democrats I spoke to said that, you know, Biden should really think twice before he puts someone like Trump on the stage with him, which could have a legitimizing Effect, and I think the Democratic strategy heading into the general election is: you don't even you don't want to legitimize Trump. You want to, pers- you the the whole strategy for Democrats heading into the election is to portray Trump as not fit for office. You get on stage with him, he looks a little bit more fit for office. And there's some other there are other factors as well that the the Democrats aren't so willing to acknowledge publicly. For instance, the age factor: Biden's 81. Trump is 77. Now, one Democratic strategist said to me, you know, Trump is no spring chicken. But if you look at them uh, on TV and their interactions with the press, Trump certainly seems younger. And as anyone who has older parents or grandparents knows, 
that once you get close to 80, every year is pretty significant. So a four-year age difference is quite significant. And the the what Democratic lawmakers I spoke to acknowledge privately, at least, is that Biden's age is his biggest liability. No question about it. So if you put him on stage with Trump side by side, OK, it's only a four year age difference. But when you look at them, act, interact, answer questions, uh, Trump seems a lot younger um, than, than Biden does. And I think you just have to acknowledge that. And so do you really want to highlight that difference by getting on stage with Trump? So those are a couple of the, you know, the reasons not to debate for Biden, not to debate Trump. I mean, there are others. Something that you cite in your reporting that is also of note is the idea that Trump in a position where he almost has nothing to lose in the eyes of some voters or potential voters and only has the opportunity to gain some kind of traction on stage. There are voters who have already made up their mind and they've decided there's no way I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. This includes Republican voters, but perhaps Trump can sell some kind of message on a debate stage that he couldn't otherwise sell in a compare and contrast with Biden or even just on his own in such a widespread national platform. Well, I think one of the lessons that Democrats haven't forgotten going back to the 2000 election, that first debate between George W. Bush and Al Gore, um, you know, the, the Democrats really tried to portray W as a lightweight, as someone who just didn't have the experience or qualifications or gravitas as Gore to be president. And during that first debate, um, Trump, I'm sorry, excuse me, not Trump, during that first debate between uh, George W. Bush and Al Gore, Bush, he, he held his ground, he acquitted himself quite well, and more importantly, he exceeded expectations. He, the Democrats tried to uh, paint him as a lightweight. He actually showed that he could hold his own with Gore. And so merely by exceeding expectations, you can win a debate. And so maybe uh, uh, maybe a debate judge might have given you know, Gore the debate by making some you know, more points and better points. The fact that W. Bush exceeded expectations it gave him a big boost in the election, and he was actually viewed as the winner of the debate simply by exceeding expectations. Okay, fast forward to 2024. You know, Trump, I think the Democrats have done a good job of portraying Trump as someone who's a borderline lunatic. I mean, that's really, you know, what this campaign is about. Democrats are painting Trump as someone who's not fit for office, someone who's unhinged. You know, you can you can pick your adjectives. Um, and, you know, Trump certainly does a good job of g giving Democrats plenty of ammo by making outrageous statements. Well, you know, again, as I said, the, the whole Democratic strategy is painting Trump as not fit for office. Well, if he gets on stage with Biden and actually makes some cogent points and doesn't fly off the handle about January 6th or the stolen election or the Russia hoax or anything else, if he doesn't make anything outrageous if, if before a national television audience. He, he, he debates some uh, um, policy points fairly cogently. Well, then you could then I think it's it's you could say that he would exceed expectations. And then, you know, he may wind up closing the gap. It may it, it may help him more than helps Biden just by having a normal debate. And so I think that is why former President Trump is very eager to get on stage with Biden. And he's saying, let's debate 10 times. He clearly sees plenty of upside for himself. And I'll point out the Biden campaign uh, has not committed to attending any of the debates while the uh, Commission on Presidential Debates has already selected its three dates and three locations later this year for those general election debates. Um, the Biden campaign isn't, uh, they're not committing to it yet. So we'll see if they show up. Of course, in terms of portraying Donald Trump as some kind of lunatic, first of all, it's something that the president has already 
working towards in his most recent stop in South Carolina just yesterday, calling him a loser and getting a loud cheer from the crowd. But look, you can think back to the Chris Wallace debate in 2020, where Trump was just on this unhinged rant, constant interruptions. It was almost impossible for anybody with just a a borderline interest in politics to understand what was happening beyond just perhaps the sick entertainment value of these two guys going at each other, particularly Trump interrupting. So there is the opportunity where, based on Trump's behavior, for Biden and Trump to stand on the stage and Trump to appear like a madman in front of a national audience. So there's a little bit of a risk or reward potential there if you have a repeat of that Chris Wallace debate from 2020. So, and that's an interesting point because I think that, uh, you know, Trump really fumbled an opportunity with that. I think it was the first debate with Chris Wallace. I mean, he was just, he was so disruptive. He was so rude. I mean, he wouldn't even let the debate happen. And Wallace later said that it was Trump's fault for ruining the debate, that the American people were deprived of the debate that they you know, expected and deserved because Trump was just so disruptive. Um, and I think it really hurt him. And, and it's not just me who thinks that, but I remember talking to you know, Republican senators, uh, even those who didn't particularly like Trump, but you know, wanted him to you know, win re-election because his loss also you know, cost them the Senate. I mean, it was a political disaster for them, but I think they, they really viewed in fact, that debate as, as the biggest gaffe and the biggest stumble that Trump had during the 2020 campaign. You know, when he actually debates Biden on the issues, he's pretty good and he has plenty of strong points to make. And, you know, points where Republicans feel they have, you know, a true advantage with voters uh, over the Democrats. But then, when you know, when Trump is so disruptive, he just kind of he almost lost himself the election. I mean, you know, you can question how much of an impact debates have, but I, there was certainly a view at the time, and I remember talking to people about this, that Trump shot, really shot himself in the foot that time. So could that happen again? Of course. You know, is, it, can Trump self-destruct again on the stage? Yes. But you, you got to think that, you know, Trump has, you know, learned his lesson um, that, that he would not do that again, because it was, you know, I think really acknowledged by, by both sides that Trump hurt himself badly in that first debate. So, you know, could he do the same thing all over again? Possibly, but, um, I, you know, I wouldn't bank on it. And, and I think if Trump has any, you know, any political sense at all, and he certainly does that he would not, you know, he would not replicate that, that performance, but you know, you never know. I mean, you could, that's, that's the thing with Trump. You never know what you're going to get. So, you know, you can roll the dice and, you know, who knows what's going to happen. You know, he could, he could certainly, you know, implode on stage. And, and I think one of the things that's, that we saw in that first debate, you know, going back almost four years ago is if you get under his skin, you know, that's an effective way to debate Trump. I mean, he, he can really let himself be agitated and provoked. And, you know, Biden kind of did a pretty, you know, he was pretty deft in doing that. Um, but now, of course, the difference you know, between then and now is four years ago, you know, Trump was the president. So any, you know, perceived, you know, kind of slights and things like that as the president certainly got under his skin because he felt that as president, you know, he, he should really be you know, treated with more deference, et cetera. Um, now that he's the challenger, I'm not sure whether it'd be quite as easy to provoke him, but you know, there is plenty of ammo out there. You can, you know, you can cite his myriad, you know, legal problems, um, you know, from E. Jean Carroll to the, uh, you know, missing classified documents. I mean, there's lots to poke at them. So it would be an entertaining debate. I'll, I'll grant you that. The idea of alternative candidates, particularly on the Democratic side, in light of the fact that some folks, some key Democratic leaders are concerned about a Biden appearance in a debate, 
Has that reignited any conversation around the notion of somebody else should be the Democratic nominee, or is that ship completely sailed even in conversation? Well, you know, it really seems that the only people who are talking about, you know, a nominee other than Biden are either Republicans or members of the media or anyone who is not an official member or an office holder in the Democratic Party. I mean, the Democratic members of Congress, you know, 99 percent of them, you know, they all think that that Biden is, you know, their best and only chance of, of winning the 2024 election. There is no serious discussion whatsoever about replacing him. Um, that discussion emanates almost entirely from the media or, you know, from Trump's pollster I sp- who spoke to last week. You know, he, he didn't think he, he thinks that Biden's going to drop out. But, you know, any Democrat who actually has a, you know, a, a personal stake in this election in terms of you know, being up for reelection or has their majority at stake, none of them want anyone other than Biden running because it's just too risky. Um, they think Biden has a great record. Uh, they think that, you know, Biden is. You know, he's non-polarizing. I mean, you know, so if you put someone like a Kamala Harrison, you know, I think she would be viewed as, you know, she'd have all sorts of, you know, vulnerabilities. There'd be questions about her ability to do the job, her experience, her track record as vice president. The fact that she is, you know, a woman of color would certainly be a polarizing thing. Um, Let's, you know, I don't think Democrats have any illusions about that. Um, You know, Biden as an as a boomer, as an old white boomer, you know, there's something, you know, acceptable about him to the, you know, to the g- general American public. He's just not that polarizing. Um, the only, you know, his biggest weakness, as I said before, is that is his age and, and, and his vitality. But um, given the strength of the economy, I think Democrats feel that, you know, that Biden, it's Biden's race to lose. Now, you know, if if things go to hell in the next, I don't know, 10 months or six months, if the economy, you know, implodes and Biden has, you know, a real you know, health downturn, maybe that's something different. But barring any, you know, major change in circumstances, Biden will be the nominee. And I that is the key message you hear consistently from every Democratic lawmaker I talk to on Capitol Hill. The article, Democrats question whether Biden should agree to debate Trump, thehill.com, Alexander Bolton is the reporter and uh, much appreciated. We'll be right back here in Bartholomew Town. We are brought to you by Half Street Group, who bring a new generation's perspective to leadership communications, strategic public relations, and digital marketing. Half Street helps organizations and leaders take control of their own stories and manage their reputations. They get results for their clients by focusing on audience, message, and culture, and by leveraging their decade-long relationship with media and opinion leaders in the Ocean State and throughout New England. Join me and Half Street Group founder and president Mike Rea for a conversation every month about news of the day, the hottest media analysis, and a look behind the scenes at how impactful leaders drive conversations. Learn more at halfstreetgroup.com. Com. Losers are taught to concede when they lose. And he's a loser. <laughs> Joe Biden gave that ridiculous speech yesterday because he can't talk about any of the things that he's done. He's got no successes. All he can talk about is we're a threat to democracy. Right there, obviously, President Biden at his second campaign event yesterday in South Carolina and Donald Trump over the weekend, the former president just one of a series of unhinged attacks that he offered on President Biden, including making fun of his stuttering, 
going after John McCain. I mean, kind of the usual stuff that we've expected from Trump. But the big question right now, I think for a lot of observers, is how much in the mud is President Biden going to get when it comes to this 2024 election cycle? I mean, that clip right there calling Donald Trump a loser. In a way, you know, you can kind of understand the temptation for playing into that sort of theme. You know, let's just continue to paint Donald Trump as totally unfit for office, totally this complete lunatic, as we heard Alexander Bolton describe some of the efforts of the Democratic establishment right now. And obviously, anybody who's paid attention at any level knows that that's not very hard to do. It's not a very difficult scene to set. At the same time, you wonder if the president, not running simply on the message around economy, the message around the Biden doctrine, whatever that means, is really a smart maneuver. And it really remains to be seen how they sculpt that message. But in the context of a debate, you know, really difficult to imagine Joe Biden getting any kind of leg up on Donald Trump if they get into the mud, if that's where this thing ends up. And it seems unsustainable it seems like in the long term, President Biden's going to have to, well, his campaign is going to have to make a decision to say, we're not going to directly attack Donald Trump with any kind of, you know, whether you want to call it name calling or vitriol or anything of that sort, and just simply focus on, hey, here's what we're doing. Now, obviously, Biden has his own issues. There's no doubt about it that there's a growing sentiment that's been expanding more and more over the last couple of months from folks who are deeply offended by his handling of what's taken place in Gaza. And whether or not those voters or potential voters just simply stay home or ultimately make the decision to say, let me choose the lesser of two evils here, so to speak. Because obviously for anybody who's concerned about issues in the Middle East or humanitarian issues on a global basis, it's hard to imagine you can make the justification to vote Trump versus Biden. The question will be whether or not those folks just simply say, I'm out. I'm out altogether, whether that means a third-party candidate or just, I'm not going to vote. I don't feel that there's anybody representing my worldview. And how many of those people are there in the pool of the collection of needed voters in swing states for President Biden to retain the presidency? So all of that is something we'll obviously be watching. But I thought that story that Alexander Bolton published on debating Trump, Biden debating Trump was really fascinating and a good way to sort of start off this 2024 season, which we will, in fact, be paying pretty considerable attention to the presidential election. Uh, I think it's, I think we've got to even here in Rhode Island. I think it's something that on a daily basis, maybe not, but we certainly need to check in on the major themes and we'll get down into the beltway as often as we can with expertise and reporters and other voices that can bring that to us on a, like I said, semi-regular basis. But to me right now, as I sit here, I wonder at what point does the Biden operation soup to nuts say, you know what, let's hold off on any and all references to Donald Trump when it comes to his legal woes or anything like that. I don't know. I mean, you would think that by painting the picture that they're painting, that this guy, I mean, all the indictments and just the reality of the circus and disgusting remarks that Donald Trump continues to make on a regular basis, you would think that in a civilized society, that ought to disqualify him as a serious candidate for the presidency 
for any voter. Unfortunately, what we're seeing, what polling is showing, and even just anecdotal rhetoric, it may not be the case. And that's kind of the scary moment that we're in where you can lay out a pretty compelling case that Donald Trump is completely unfit to be president. He's unfit for most, in fact, any significant leadership role. Certainly president of the United States. And yet his base and enough of the middle, so to speak, and I don't necessarily mean middle as in either uninformed or, you know, quote unquote, centrist voters, but just middle America. They may not care about the economic reality. They may not care about the situation on the ground in front of them. And they certainly may not care about what's happening in Donald Trump's legal life. They may be able to get past that because they're able to buy into some of these talking points about immigration or any other culture war nonsense that's floating out there. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't know. I'm not sure. And what do you guys think? Bill at ripodcast.com, X at Bill Bartholomew. If you have a thought, should the Biden team move away entirely from any mudslinging? from any direct attacks on Donald Trump and instead just stay in their own lane? Or should they continue down this path, which it certainly seems like they've opened up? Just take a look at yesterday's speech down in uh, in uh, South Carolina and certainly the January 5th speech that took place in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, completely entering into that type of dialogue. And perhaps that's the campaign that we're going to be seeing this year. Mudslinging between two men one a former president, one the current president, and where does the average person land, particularly in the swing states? You know, where does that random Allegheny County voter land when you have two people slinging the mud and getting into that level of dialogue versus actual issues? And look, on a debate stage, I guess it's possible that Donald Trump becomes somehow, some way, if he's learned some of the lessons from 2020, it's possible that the script could be, at least on a in, in a vacuum, could be flipped where Trump is able to deliver some form of substance while Biden is caught up simply attacking the person. And although that seems like the right thing to do, for some reason, somehow, in a, a human experience that I just can't wrap my head around. I can't understand it. I can't understand why anybody would look at Donald Trump and say, yeah, that's my guy. But somehow, some way, that is the case. And polling right now is showing that it's more than just a feeling. 2024 is going to be a very, very, very big year, not only in politics, I think in the future of the human race. And that's why we're going to cover it as deeply as we can here from our Providence, Rhode Island studios. Welcome into season seven of Bartholomew Town. It's unbelievable that we've made it this far in a way, right? Here we are. We're still going. And that's because of you guys, the listeners, and certainly can't thank you enough. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash Bartholomew Town for as little as $3 a month. You can support the independent journalism, reporting analysis, and entertainment that we provide here on the podcast a lot coming up this week on Thursday. We're going to have Seth, Seth Magaziner, our now senior congressperson here in Rhode Island. He'll be joining us. We've got a lot of political leaders here in the state coming up over the next several weeks. I'm trying to spread them out a little bit. 
And we're going to take a look at a couple of municipal issues as well. Something that I really want to get into this year is going into places where there's a lack of local newspapers, right? Where the the the, the Charaho Times, which no longer exists, or you name the, the paper, would have previously covered in depth or at least on a surface level major stories that now are just simply slipping through the cracks. And this week we're going to have a couple of those for you as well. Bartholomew Town, at least three times a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, sometimes more than that. We'll have some live coverage this week. Uh, pardon me, next uh, next week for the state of the, the state of the state. That'll be next Tuesday night. I'll be live on our platforms on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and X at Bill Bartholomew. And then we'll have a podcast wrap up for you on the state of the state. But for today, presidential 2024, I don't see how we get away from it. I don't see how you can have any conversation right now, even as painful and annoying and obnoxious as this election has already proven to be. And forget about this, you know, the notion of the Republican candidates that are vying for second place. They're positioning themselves for 2028. I made the statement before I, I retain it that I don't think anybody in the current pool of Republican major candidates and major in quotes, but Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, really it's those two. I don't think any of them become a vice presidential nominee for Donald Trump. I think that person is going to come from outside of of the spectrum of of humans that are currently in front of us on a regular basis on television. I think it's going to be somebody that's going to be somewhat shocking. I don't think it's going to be Tucker Carlson or anything like that, but who knows where this goes and it affects all of us. Even in Rhode Island, where unfortunately, due to the outdated and outrageous electoral college system, our vote doesn't have a direct impact. I mean, it does on a bully pulpit level, and it's a good read for what's happening in politics as a whole here in the state. You know, how many people vote for Trump or what percentage and where, when you look at the map, you can kind of predict where those places would be, but then you can also start to wonder, would, would East Greenwich go Trump, for example? Is there, you know, places that you would not expect to have a significant performance or even go Trump? Uh, things to watch, but nonetheless, we got to keep an eye on it and we will do just that here on Bartholomew Town. A lot coming up. Really glad to be back with you here as we continue to make some uh, some upgrades as well, studio upgrades, a lot more video coming for, for this year. You can find me on YouTube and TikTok. Just search for Bartholomew Town. You'll find those pages as we continue to roll out some new stuff on a regular basis. It's going to continue to ramp it up, ramp it up, ramp it up. But I wanted to jump right back in to the work here in early January. I know sometimes you've taken a couple of weeks off in January. Big year. Big year. A lot going on nationally, a lot going on internationally, of course. And we'll keep our eyes on that and, and get as many perspectives as we can uh, in on the international sphere and just as we watch just a horrific scenario playing out in Gaza uh, all of the preamble that goes with that of course what happened on October 7th was horrific we all know that what's happening in Gaza is nothing short of a complete and utter outrage and Israel saying that they're going to ramp down the the fight uh, or, or enter into a lighter stage. What does that really mean? Where does the U.S. stand in all of this? Right now, a lot of people watching in horror 
and something we also absolutely need to keep an eye on. And there's much more happening on the international stage that we need to as well. We are Rhode Island-based, and we will stay Rhode Island-focused, but we're not going to ignore the reality of the world around us either. So I welcome you into Season 7 here on Bartholomew Town. And hey, thanks to all of you who have made us number one and gotten us this far. Really appreciate it, and we'll talk tomorrow.